Hi, everybody. Um, I'm Carrie Abel. Thank you so much for being here today. I'm so excited to present the future of digital native art and music with my incredible friends and collaborators on the panel with me today. Um, each person up here, I personally asked because they are um, both a friend and collaborator of mine. And when I thought, who would I most like to just have this conversation with? Personally, I thought this this group, and so we're so happy. To, I'm happy to have this conversation with all of you um, here as well. So I'd like to start with just having everybody introduce uh, themselves and a little bit about what they're really excited to be working on right now. So there we go ahead. Sure. Hi, everyone. Just to echo Carrie, thank you so much for being here, and happy South by Southwest. Um, it's a pleasure to be back. My name is Dara Dandurand. Uh, I work as an independent creative director right now for Vice. I'm also a curator. Uh, recent project, I worked for the French Embassy last year doing work around XR and gaming. And I'm also a journalist, and I'm here covering the best of the festival for XR for VR Scout. And I've done some stuff recently with The Times, too. Um, but yeah, I'm great, grateful to have this conversation and excited to hopefully talk to some of you afterwards. Tony? I'm Tony Parisi. I've uh, been working in metaverse technology for the better part of three decades. I wrote the first code for the uh, 3D on the internet and created a technology called VRML, the virtual reality modeling language, uh, back in the 1990s. And I've been working on building the open metaverse ever since. Um, I'm currently the chief product officer at Lamina One, a purpose-built blockchain for the open metaverse uh, to enable creators to create without uh, boundaries on the creation side and operate and, and succeed without walled gardens and I'm delighted to be on that mission and to be on this panel with three amazing people. I've done a lot of panels at South by over the years and I, I, I've been looking forward to this more than any other panel and Carrie was so delighted when you asked me to be part of this. Yeah, no, I love you guys so much. And we all do, we, we work together and do a lot of things together. Um, yeah, and I'm also an independent composer and musician working on a project I'm going to tell you about in a few minutes. Mike? This is incredibly exciting, right? Like we, we were, we've been talking about this for weeks, just being here together. Thank you for showing up this morning. My name is Mike Pell. I like to tell people I'm from the future, and it's true. I've had a very long career in the tech industry, and I've always had the good fortune of being right on the cutting edge of design, technology, and business. This is no different. I'm excited talking about you know, why we're all here today. Sort of, we're, we're at right at the inflection point of something amazing. We were just talking about this earlier. It's hard for all of us to realize the amount of change that's happening every single day in music and the arts, but it is incredible. And so my career has spanned everything from uh, starting off as an artist, becoming very interested in technology, starting one of the very first Macintosh software companies way back when, actually invented the stylized font menu, if you can believe that, uh, did a 3D text program that turned into um, an early Pixar product called Typistry, invented Acrobat and PDF uh, at Adobe, this guy made me quit my job at Adobe to go chase down the very first metaverse, you know, using VRML, so that was back in the mid-90s. I've always been uh, involved in 3D information design, and more recently I've been at Microsoft, running an innovation program called the Microsoft Garage out in New York City, where we get to take people's ideas and their passion and help them make it real. So I'm very thankful to be here. We're gonna have a great panel. You ready? Let's go. All right. And, and I'll just share, for those of you that don't know me, I'm Carrie Abel, and I'm an extended reality artist working with um, music, um, traditional media, and then um, also through VR and AR since uh, 2017. Uh, and yeah, I'm just really excited to, to be here. So let's, get, let's dive in. Um, 
So first question is going towards Mike. Um, is artificial intelligence going to help or hurt highly skilled artists and musicians in the future? What a great question. <laughs> Isn't that why we're all here to talk about this? The, the truth is, I mean, you all know this, right? Some form of technology and tools have been used forever, right? Since the very beginning of, of humankind, right? Being in caves, cave paintings, like sort of going through the Renaissance. There was always some tool set that artists and musicians and creative people would sort of gravitate to. And we always like to try things out, right? Artists and musicians are always pushing the edge of new technologies and the new tool sets. This is no different. Artificial intelligence is our new, um, I would say the new addition to our palette of creativity. And some people may be a bit put off by it. Uh, I did a lecture in, in Florence, Italy a little while ago with some fashion designers. And they were kind of horrified at what could come out with just a few words of something like, like mid-journey. Because they started to worry, I'm investing all this time in my career. Is this, is this wasted now? Is it, an AI going to replace me? My view on all this is absolutely not. It is just a tool, like any other tool, it's just a technology evolving very quickly. But we are going to figure out a way to make it be our assistant, be our muse, be our companion in our creative pursuits. So I don't think it's anything to fear, although we are going to talk about how this could get away from us pretty easily. Can we talk about that right now? Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's get right <laughs> let's into it. it. Let's get, into it. get right into it. That's the thing that's been bugging me a lot lately is not the, um, uh, clearly we need to uh, be concerned about the evolution of people who have careers in design mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. uh, visual arts in particular, that's, that's coming in hot and fast. Um, but what I worry about is feeding the beast of artificial intelligence businesses and the unintended consequences that come from that. We've seen the movie with uh, Silicon Valley and you know, generally just financing uh, large technologies, transformational technologies that just get out of control. Uh, we saw what happened with social media and related technologies in the most recent decade. And it's just a little concerning to me that mm -hmm. you know, finance is going to fuel all this stuff and we're not going to think through all the consequences. Mm -hmm. So I think we need to be super thoughtful mm -hmm. about how these, these technologies evolve and interoperate with us and don't take control mm -hmm. of us in ways that we don't ask it to. Um, and even when we ask it, can we be thoughtful about you know, mm -hmm. asking it that? <laughs> because we traded, like, we traded a lot for the convenience mm -hmm. we got from all this technology mm -hmm. over the last little while. So yeah. where's that gonna go in this next iteration? Yeah. Absolutely, I, one of the things that I've been telling artists a lot that has made them feel better is an analogy I came up with, which is um, that AI can create a new Picasso, but it can't be the next Picasso. Um, so, and that the, the, the very nature of AI for anyone, you know, that's like studied machine learning is it's that it is derivative. And I think if you tell any artist that their work is derivative, that's probably the biggest insult that you could give them, right? So, um, I think we don't need to be concerned because what it's, you know, we're always going to be craving, you know, unbridled, like unique creativity that is only an amalgamation of the human experience. And the things that we remember that make history are those really unique um, artworks, right? Like, so I don't foresee, um, you know, an AI being able to do that. I think people that, that have done a really great job, you know, um, artists working with AI, I think part of the art is the way that they're being the first to do it. Like, the visuals themselves might not actually be as, you know, it, it, it is derived from other things that already existed, right? But the, to me, the art is in the way that they have um, used these tools. 
Yeah, Rafik, <clears throat> excuse me, if you don't not familiar with Rafik Anadol's work, uh, Rafik is an incredibly talented artist, but he's used technology to help amplify his own creative thoughts. These pieces, this piece is at MoMA right now. If you get to New York, go see it, or any of his work anywhere in the world. It's a new form of art to me. It's, mm -hmm. it's data art. It's powered by artificial intelligence, but it feels alive, and it feels different like it's evolving. It's mm -hmm. very, very exciting. But back to the, you know, the, that little phrase, highly skilled artists and musicians. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Carrie, Tony, highly skilled musicians and artists both. There's something about wanting to protect the integrity of, of your work through all this, right? And, and I agree with you for right now, don't know that we're gonna see some incredible piece of AI art just pop out of nowhere uh, without the human intervention part of it. But I don't know, Dara, what do you think about that? Because you see a lot of this too. Well, I'm very interested in the jobs that will be affected by this because we're having a lot of fear that's coming from the artistic community around this technology and a lot of joy and a lot of collaboration. That being said, I've been thinking a lot about how the programmers of today will be replaced by the poets of tomorrow. And we have to understand that artists are going to be so integral to how this technology is understood and adopted. You're going to have to become an incredible writer. You're going to have to understand how to collaborate very closely with these technologies. Mm -hmm. It's not simply enough to say it's going to replace you. I think that if you let a technology replace you, it certainly can. But how much do you want to show up as part of a new renaissance? And I think also, um, even though this is focused solely on digital artists and musicians, I do think we have to have a larger conversation about developers in our community. They're not going to be phased out tomorrow, but that is a reality. And it's its own discipline, its own incredible artistic medium. But at the same time, it's not going to be the main role. And I think as we see this technology mature, we are going to see more and more linguists come into it and find a lot of fertile ground for, ground for, for creativity and we're going to see a lot of photographers come in and use it in a completely different way and create new media and new discipline as well. Yeah, Dara, I want to pick up on that. Was it you I was talking to the other day? I, I was just talking to someone about this here um, where they were saying junior programmers need to like, they, they may, there may be fewer jobs for them, you know, because you could walk up to chat GPT and say, write me the code. ChatGPT can make a VRML cube. I asked it the other day. It's like, <laughs> it knows everything, at least somewhat well. Mm -hmm. And so I can imagine that happening soon. So it's, it's not just the arts that mm -hmm. are yeah. uh, potentially in peril in terms of at least entry-level jobs. So I think everyone's going to have to level up and mm -hmm. cope with that. And yeah. Mike, you wanted to add something just, to that? Just one last point, and we can move on. So mm -hmm. throughout history, if you look at what's happened during revolutions um, and large changes, we know that some people are going to be displaced. It, it happens. Like even, so I work for Microsoft. About five or six years ago, Microsoft wrote a book called The Future Computed, where we sort of laid out our stance mm -hmm. about artificial intelligence and what's going to happen. There's no question that some jobs will be changed or phased out or, or morphed into something new. Don't be afraid of that. There are so many new opportunities for people to go off and learn new things, to be what you want to be. So don't, don't sort of feed into the fear that AI is going to replace me. It's not going to replace you. Mm -hmm. you are going to learn how to grow and do something you really want to do, maybe in a yeah. different way. Mm -hmm. So with that, time to move well, on. Well, I, I want to add something that we were talking about just before um, that I thought was really interesting. We were talking about like how you know, this spectrum of um, you know, technique and creativity mm -hmm. you know, is like on a continuum, right? And I think yeah. that with AI, 
it's going to make the um, creativity spectrum more important, right? Like that you might, if you lack certain skills, you're going to be able to harness these new technologies to empower your creativity, whereas before you would have to learn so, so many things to bring that um, to life, right? Like, I don't want to move on. I do want to chime in for one second. Yeah. Uh, so as a musician, I, I, uh, I'm working on this really ambitious project, and I spent a lot of time and a lot of my own money to, do, uh, to make an album, which I'll tell you about in a second. Um, and when it came time to release a couple singles from the album, I used Midjourney to make the art for the first couple of singles. Um, I felt a little guilty because I suppose I could have paid a digital artist to go do that for me. But I just needed to get that done, put it up on Spotify. And I felt like, okay, this will come back around. And then actually I had Marina, who's an artist, make the most recent, hey, over there, my wife, uh, I had the, make the art for the most recent one. So, you know, I'm doing a combo here and I will employ artists when the time comes at, the mo at that moment. I didn't want to though, but I've been thinking, you know, that got me thinking about would I have used this to make my album somehow if the tools let me do that, the music part of it, mm -hmm. which gets me asking myself, why would I do that? Am I just trying to make a product, or am I trying to express myself artistically? Right. And that's kind of the fundamental question. Mm -hmm. I've messed around with ChatGPT to make me lyrics now. I mean, being a great country western lyric was actually pretty good. It even wrote a bridge. It was scary. But, like, do I want to make my music that way? I personally don't think I do. Because then what's the point for me? That said, I don't know, maybe it would workshop some lyrics for some new song I'm trying to think of. I, I use rhyming, rhyming zone. I sometimes use a rhyming dictionary to make my lyrics work. Right. That's just another tool, Mike, right? It's just, but you know what? Um, to Carrie's point, there is, there is a day coming where you will not have to know how to play an instrument at all, and you'll be able to, in the air, produce something. And then the question will be, is that just as valuable? Right, where I didn't have to learn how to play an instrument. And we were talking about it, sort of mm -hmm. debating this earlier. I'm, I'm old, so I love uh, the craftsmanship and the skill of being able to play an instrument, to sing, to paint, to, to draw, whatever. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that the things that are created digitally are, are any less valuable, but they're different. Mm -hmm. yeah. I also want to bring up a point that does overlap a lot into my work as a creative director, and that's licensing. I spend so much of my time talking about licensing. And what's very interesting about working in an emerging industry is that laws are changing constantly around copyright, around uh, who gets to use what for what duration, who owns what, et cetera. And I think this is something, as we're talking about the future of digital art and music and media, we have to really think about where does law show up with our work and who claims our work. And as we collaborate more and more with artificial intelligence, and if for the naysayers, I'm not sure how many there are in this room, I'm sure we're all um, a group of people that are, that are very excited by this for the most part. But... That being said, the more that we collaborate with these technologies and the more that we expand them and understand their capability, please keep in mind as artists how that law shows up to protect you because it is changing seismically on a regular basis. And that is something very important to me to make sure that artists understand as we move ahead. It will not be the same legal landscape for your work in the next few years. Yeah. All right, next question. So moving on. And unless anybody had anything that they wanted to add to that. That's I'm about here. all of that topic yeah. I can take. No, right. I, I, uh, <laughs> I'm super interested in this, right? So I have many of my friends are artists and musicians, right? And so, Tony, how are they going to be able to control their own destiny moving forward with all of this change? Like, Dara just mentioned this, right? So there's the legal, the copyright, and like the IP issues. 
things are moving so fast. How will artists, both musicians and artists, be able to control their own destinies going forward? Yeah, and this is also a topic shift. It's not really about AI. It's more about, uh, I'd say, Web3 than anything and, and open metaverse kind of technology. So I want to explore that space for a little bit. Uh, as I mentioned, um, I'm a musician, and this, I have this big ambi ambitious project. It's called Judgment Day. It's a musical about the end of the world. I wrote it years ago, kind of freaked out uh, about us on a collision course because of religious extremism, geopolitics, and a bunch of things. And it kind of sat in the can for a while. And then during lockdown, I recorded all the demos for it. And then was trying to think about what do I do next, because I envision this as a stage musical. In my wildest dreams, it's going to be on Broadway. Uh, you guys all have front row seats if you buy my <laughs> NFTs, okay? So um, I started thinking about what was I going to do after I finished the demos. I socialized it with some friends. A film director of mine said, I, I want to get this on stage. Let's go. And I said, okay, wait, I got to take a pause. I'm not going to now spend five years shopping this on broad to, to Broadway. I think I'm going to make the album first, take my demos and turn it into an album. So I spent 14 months and a bunch of my own money with um, singers, session musicians, replacing a lot of what I did. There's still a lot of me in it, and I'm one of the characters in it. And midway through that project, the NFT boom was starting to happen. So we're now into to 2020, and people are talking about art, you know, visual art NFTs mostly, and the board apes and all that. And I just started wondering, are people doing anything with music and NFTs? And I started searching the internet and getting on Twitter, and this was about just about a year ago now, about a month before South by Southwest, and started discovering some amazing Web3 musicians making uh, music and selling NFT collections and making far more money than they would ever make on the streaming services. Because the reality is, for the last 20 years, when you're talking about creators for the last 20 years, the most abused and disenfranchised creators have been people in the music industry. The world has been conditioned to expect their music for free and devalue it. And these artists were all running around the world touring because they were told, you make money by touring and selling merch. And then COVID completely destroyed that. Backs against the wall. A lot of these people thinking about changing jobs, having a new career, getting the hell out of the music business. They started turning to Web3. And I'm going to tell you the stories about a couple of these people right now. And there's Ray up there. Okay, thank you, Carrie. Uh, Ray Isla, Seattle-based uh, independent singer-songwriter, writes pop songs, uh, skews a little country, but she's also a great uh, piano and guitar player, amazing songwriter. Um, launched her NFT collection, Ray's Rocks. Ray, as a child, as a 10-year-old girl, collected rocks, hundreds of them. It was just her personal passion. So uh, her brother, self-styled solar punk, drew an art collection around all of her precious rocks that she still physically owns, and she launched an NFT collection around this and raised a lot of money by selling the NFTs. Now, I don't know how much you folks know about how the music NFTs are working. It's kind of a big open space, and people are experimenting, experimenting with different formats. They're using Web3 to do things like effectively token-gated access to listening to the music streaming, but they're also creating these visual collectibles that come with a song, and you're, you, know, you as a collector, you're actually performing several functions. You are sort of a patron, like you, know, you could do this kind of thing with Patreon, but it's way beyond that because you're getting all this additional utility because these artists are offering you tickets to their shows, uh, potentially in some cases live intimate Zoom concerts for only people that hold their NFTs, um, all kinds of wonderful benefits, and it's somewhat gamified in the sense that if you collect certain ones, you get certain benefits. And then on top of all that, 
this is slightly speculative part, but you're investing in their career in the sense that if any of these artists blow up, you might have a rare collectible of theirs that could be like mm -hmm. an old Grateful Dead bootleg or something like that. We don't even know yet. Mm -hmm. And most people aren't doing it for the collectability. Maybe, I don't know, 20%. And this is not scientific. They're doing it to support these artists and invest in their career and be with them. And they're like super fans and collectors and they're getting together on Twitter spaces for hours at a time and hearing these people and getting to know them. These artists, they know their fans personally. So Ray's one of these amazing ones. And oh, the thing on the right, she's also a tech innovator. That's a picture of a live stream hologram that I took in her Seattle show where she's in this booth and she is broadcasting to people who couldn't come to her show in Seattle. So it's hers, I've got three Ray's up on the screen. There's the real one in the booth. She's a hologram um, that you can see on the right of her that's a screen grab from my phone. And then you can see that monitor, it's a little bright. She's actually going out in VR and Oculus Quest headsets and she did that all live. So it was super cool. So she's a tech innovator as well. So I wanna highlight one more of my artist friends here. Uh, Violetta Zaroni, who's in the room with us, hi V. Uh, she is amazing. And so she's one of those people I discovered when I went on Twitter to find out about this stuff. And we were all just going like, music NFTs. We were like little kids in a playground. We were just like literally tweeting, music NFTs. And we're playing, music NFTs. And then all of a sudden it's like, hey, you're going to South by Southwest. This was a year ago. And yeah. uh, we didn't make it there, but this other guy, Josh Savage, did. And he's this amazing, great Britpop guy. Uh, v sings incredible jazz songs with guitar and pop. And it's just, she has a lovely voice. And she's a great human. And... She has sold two amazing collections, one called Moonshot, another one there's a uh, picture of here called Another Life she recently did with OpenSea. And these, I just want to say, these musicians are meeting their fans, they're building these incredible relationships, and you know the whole, the whole thing around NFTs, the economics of that might change in a few years, but other Web3 technologies will come to bear so that you can listen to their music in different ways, collect other things, have different relationships with them, and here's the thing. The whole through line to all of this is that we have to change how we value music. Mm -hmm. We devalued it. I love it when you said this, Violetta, in one of these Twitter spaces. You don't walk into the grocery store, grab some food, and walk out and don't expect to pay. Wait, they do in New York City. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. I'm off my soapbox. Yeah. Yeah. Right, what do all y'all think? We've got a few more minutes on this topic. I want to hear from everyone else. You As you can tell, I'm very passionate about it. You bring up an interesting concept that I've been thinking about a lot recently, too, and especially here, which is the sentimentality of digital artifacts. And we have emotions, pure emotions, that are tied to a song that you associate with your first crush, right? Or a movie that you loved watching with your grandfather. And we do have these emotions tied to objects. We don't have that yet for a lot of these new forms and these new... Uh, ways in which we are making money. And I think in the case of music, you bring up a great point. We do accept it for free. Things like radio mm -hmm. popularize that and you get used mm -hmm. to it. And I think that there is this cultural understanding that music is something that you pay for, but only at a certain level and a certain level of exclusivity. And there are these expectations placed on many musicians and visual artists, et cetera, where their work is for free. Things like Instagram, where you're, you're not paying to see this incredible gallery of, of works every day. That being said, though, I think that we have to rethink, and I, I see it as a marketing problem, and that's from where I sit in the industry. We have to rethink um, digital sentimentality and define what that's going to mean as we move into the future where we do place a deeper economic value on our connections to things that we just cannot touch. Mm -hmm. yeah. So as, totally. as an artist, Carrie, 
how are you trying to protect your future in all this? Well, I think the dream of Web3 and why I think Tony and I are so passionate about it is, you know, basically for artists and fans to both benefit uh, from uh, the, the collection of the work rather than just supporting this monopolized infrastructure, which is basically, you know, what's happening right now. Um, and I guess for me, I was grateful to have Tony come mint my first uh, Web3 NFT in Miami um, that was a generative music project. If you guys want to check it out, it's like carryable.com and then burn. It's kind of like Guitar Hero for production. But I think we're like basically trying to create things that are more interactive. Like I know that's something that Violetta is doing. I have a Violetta NFT, by the way. Um, that like being more creative. There's a lot of artists that are becoming collectors. Like I know for me, like if I sell, like when I sell, you know, work as NFTs, like I always, you know, 10, 20% of that sale, I'll go and like add to my collection. So I think that that's something that's happening with Web3 that you don't see as much in other um, industries where a lot of artists are, are becoming collectors. But as far as like protecting, I mean, I think it's, um, it's just it's a it's a com it's a combination of, of things. I think doing um, I'm not fully Web three. I mean I still release on Spotify. Right. Um, it's like a great I think it's a great way for to be discovered. Although we certainly I, I agree that it it is they're taking advantage of us yeah. for sure. I'm, I'm going to be controversial here. Okay, and tell me. So I, I always say this to people when they come to the Microsoft Garage, which is an innovation program. They're taking their ideas and trying to do something with it. I tell them nothing is going to protect your idea. Nothing. NDA, patent, nothing except going fast and being willing to share it early and get feedback. So I, I would just say to all of you, yes, there's great technologies, like as Daryl was saying, the laws are going to have to change, but you have to go as fast as you possibly can and make money because people are going to do whatever they do and nothing is going to protect you. Go Very fast. Very dark note. <laughs> yeah. Um, so should we move yeah, on? Let's yeah, move on. let's okay. do it. I love that yeah. topic. Okay. And can, just, can, again. Is, is this yeah. is this useful? Is this interesting? Okay, keep going. Keep going. All right, yeah. let's keep going. Also, All right. we can pause. Does anyone have a question for the two very different but big topics we just brought up? Yes. Yeah, hop up. Yeah, I got a mic there doing recording, yeah, I think. We're interactive. You know, we're all into the immersion thing here. All right, so just based on the two topics so far, one of the things I'm concerned about is that these technologies are actually getting us to collaborate less. You talked about mm -hmm. how you, and I've done this myself, you used Midjourney to make your art while you were focused on your music. I've used Midjourney, or I've used Dolly to make my music when I wanted to focus on something else. You know, 20 years ago, I needed to get a musician, a composer, a designer, and I loved doing that, and I grew because I collaborated more. But are we going to start focusing on just collaborating with the AIs? Are we going to, what about this technology you think is going to actually get us working with each other as opposed to outsourcing more of that to something new? That, that, can, I, can I take a shot at this really quick? Oh, yeah. The next evolution of it, you're right. What we're doing today is, is a very um, solo, like very personal thing of interacting with whatever these services are. But very, very quickly, we're going to get to the next level, which is collaborative. <clears throat> So now we're going to be able to mix and match our AI outputs or, you know, whatever, you know, whatever we're doing because collaboration is where it's at. Like we all learned this during the pandemic, right? People started mm -hmm. a jam, meet people from all over the world you never met before. Mm -hmm. We're going to get back to the collaborative part of this. Right now it's sort of personal growth and discovery, but it will come back. I really think that we have to view AI as another type of collaborator where we can give it feedback and we can have 
AI support us, and also I think the tremendous amount that's coming out of Web3 too, not to solely talk about AI, we need to be in dialogue and we have the tools to have that global dialogue in so many profound ways. And I don't think it starts and ends with these new technologies. I think it should push us as individuals mm. with an incredible amount of experience, each one of us, to keep considering what's next. Because this is not the end of art. Mm -hmm. This is just another renaissance that we're walking into. Yeah. I know I personally have collaborated way more um, from doing a deep dive in these technologies the last five years. And I think it's just going to add, you know, a component of maybe an artist, like, wouldn't really, they wouldn't have, you know, the funding to pay all of the collaborators, but I know, like, for myself, like, I definitely have way, way more collaborators since, like, moving into all of these technologies, and I think we have a tendency to focus on, um, you know, the mainstream focuses on the market, but I, I like to focus on, you know, the, the underlying technology and seeing how all of these things are connected, and um, I think the, the amalgamation of everything is what is going to provide this like true like digital revolution. I think. And uh, if you look at this, not just um, from the point of view of collaborating on the output, but kind of collaborating on the process itself. Uh, my old friend, uh, Nick St. Pierre, just resurfaced. I hadn't talked to him for a few years, but check his stuff out now. He's tweeting a lot. He's, he's literally open sourcing everything he's doing in mid-journey in terms of showing you the prompts that he's using and the techniques he's using. And he's starting a little YouTube channel. I mean, he's building his own brand around this, but he's sharing his knowledge and he's already getting people to collaborate with him. So, you know, we have these wonderful tools on the internet where we meet in Twitter spaces, where we get online together, we connect and, you know, chat in discords and all the things we're doing. That's leading to different, it's not the tools themselves being collaborative, it's the mm -hmm. communities and process around it mm -hmm. and the conversations that emerge from that. Yep. Mm -hmm. Great, thank you. Thank you. Hi there, thank you for flipping the format a little bit and inviting people to come up and ask questions as it goes, it's really helpful. Um, my question was for you, Dara, I think you mentioned marketing. So um, my business works with artists and arts organisations and looking at digital transformation and we get a lot of resistance, this is in Australia, from artists who feel like uh, marketing their art or marketing what they do is selling out. So I'd love to hear your perspective well, on that. I think we should well, read our minds. Thank you for this transition. Thank you for introducing our next uh, Thank you, thank you. <laughs> that was perfect. I was about to ask Darren, thank you. That's perfect. I agree. Thank you for uh, mixing the format up and getting yeah. people out of their chairs, and that's great. Thanks. Thank you. So, Dara, how can metaverse focused artists and musicians best collaborate with brands and agencies to get distribution deals? We swear she's not a plant. That was perfect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you. So I do think that we're meeting a burgeoning limitlessness that we've not had before. Mm -hmm. And we have to treat it as such. And I think the more we use that experiential and excited and joy-filled way of going into creation, the better we can handle new technologies, decide if they're for us, decide which iterations of them are for us, how we want to work with them. I don't, like for, for digital artists, for people operating solely in Web3 and wanting to embrace AI, maybe that's for now and tomorrow it won't be. But I think that we do seriously just look at it as new media to potentially work with. That being said, when you bring up artists being concerned about selling out, that's a reality. I'm not going to dodge that. That's not a marketing problem I'm interested in trying to fix. Sometimes people do feel that way. I know um, 
I'm not going to go into detail, but I know we had a conversation about this the other day. Yeah. And the reality is marketing campaigns, big brand deals, they're, they're not going to be for everyone. And nor should you try to fit into them. I'm not campaigning for every artist to want to partner with a big brand. I don't think that that's um, genuine and I don't think that's authentic to everyone. What I am interested in doing though is for those who really do want to be part of larger campaigns, who are comfortable with receiving brand dollars, are having their work distributed in a larger way, to not necessarily see it as selling out if they are interested, but to see it as a new platform to showcase their work. And this brings up something controversial that I've had people push back on before because I don't think people like it. But I think when you step outside of our wonderful industry of XR and adjacent um, discipline, you have to understand that a lot of other industries still see us as completely novel. I think the really smart people who are on the cutting edge do really, really respect what we're doing and they understand we're an experiential and experimental group that really, really wants to embrace the new. And I think that that's why you see the uh, bloom of metaverse officers at a lot of big companies right now. And that's great. But a lot of other industries do still see us as novelty. And if you as an artist and a creative want to be embraced by larger corporations and you want to accept their dollars, you have to come in and talk less tech. You have to come in and show up in a way where your campaign fits into their own identity. I work with a lot of Fortune 500 companies as a creative director right now at Vice, and I've worked with a lot of other agencies in the past few years, and I am a <laughs> tireless promoter of using XR technologies and other emerging technologies because I truly believe in what we are all doing. And the passion here is so palpable. But that being said, when I talk to these, you know, CMOs uh, at, you know, X company, whatever it is, if it's automotive, pharma, beauty, fashion, food, doesn't matter, I never talk about the tech side. I talk about the connection side. I talk about the fun side, the novelty side. For artists who want to be in this space, use your technology, embrace it, but at the same time, understand you're working within often a very saturated and still pretty binary system. But those dollars are there, and you have to convince these big brands that the risk is worth it. I'll pause there for a second. I would love to know, because we have an interesting panel here in terms of everyone's backgrounds, and everyone has a deep dive, and I know that we didn't go fully into everyone's work, but I do think that we have an interesting collection of minds to weigh in on this as well. So, mm -hmm. any I'd love to thoughts? hear from Carrie on it first. Yeah. Yeah. So I won't uh, mention the the, the, brand, the big brand that Darren and I had the conversation about, but I I feel passionately about I would never accept um, from a company that I don't feel confident like mm -hmm. telling everybody you know all my fans and everything like I support this company. Um, now true, true you know, story because you told me yeah right? like, yeah, there's, yeah there's been lots of opportunities lot of money, yeah. for you to do it and, and you're an artist you're yeah. not going to sell out you're not going to sell very out hard your to soul get. right. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, but I have no trouble, uh, you know, if it's if it's a company that I already have a great deal of respect for, I'm totally, which, you know, something I'm working with now, uh, I'm like, yeah, if I, I totally believe in your vision and your mission, and I feel very authentic in that, then I'm very proud to, you know, accept uh, that support. But um, I will share something that might be a little bit controversial. I, I think that in 10 years, artists who leverage the power of these future technologies will be more powerful than brands. 
Yeah, there's nothing controversial about oh, you don't that. Think? Okay. <laughs> no. So okay. So what I was going to say, and this is sort of a question for Derek, because you you know you're in this space, seeing all this. When students come to me and they ask me, because I, I work as a designer and a technologist, so, so I see a lot of students who are trying to get their portfolios out and, and become known. I always tell them, go reimagine, you know, something that you love. And so I think there's an opportunity for for people, for artists and musicians to go reimagine these big brands and bring it to them. And as you said, do not talk about the tech part. Blow them away with your vision. And so I'm, what I'm going to ask Dara is, does that work? If I completely reimagine a campaign for Nike, Apple, you know, like whoever, and I show it to them, do I have any chance of all of getting their attention? Sure, I think so. And the reason I bring this up is, of course, every campaign has its numbers and things attached to it. But at the end of the day, you know, how are we defining our metrics as an industry? Are we pushing ourselves ahead? And sometimes I feel a little bit like I'm a Trojan horse for XR going into to big corporate advertising. But it's so true. And I think it's very hard to find a case where you have a full campaign led in one of these disciplines right now. I don't think that that is, you know, a full, I'm talking about like a giant global or, or continent-focused campaign that is solely Web3 based, right? Or it's solely XR based. But a notable campaign I really love, and it's actually from several years ago, it's won numerous awards, was the T, I forget who did, I think it was Ogilvy, but um, T-Mobile teamed up with a creative studio in England, uh, and they did it with gorillas. And they used the color magenta, from T-Mobile to be a portal for all of Gorilla's content. So anytime you saw that very recognizable T-Mobile pink, and this campaign, this is I think from like 2017, it's still one of my favorite campaigns because it instantly connected people to a technology in a way that took the tech almost out of the conversation. It was about discovery, it was about joy, it was about music, it was about content, and I think even though that was years ago, what stands out is that there are not many successful campaigns that use the technologies that we're talking about here. And so to Mike's question and point, I think when you lean into new creation and new sense of self and when you lead with human-centered design first, you'll be successful. We're all impressed by this stuff. Mm -hmm. Other people might not be. And if you want those big corporate dollars, you have to show that human interactivity is your priority. Here, here. Yeah. I want to add that, so a little anecdote. of The first time I met Dara, she was, um, she had curated this incredible XR exhibition in Manhattan. And then I saw a couple other things that she curated. And I think one of the things she's always thinking about is the human experience. It's not just about like putting on the headset, but like the lead up into that. And then that is how we became... Um, collaborators and spent a month together in Italy last year for my um, exhibition and um, yeah so just yeah what she said I think one thing that we all agree on here is like the human element and pushing the the you know the why and not just the how right and I double down on what Dara said the brand dollars are there and they'll be there for a long time I think every artist has to have their own dial about what they're comfortable with yeah. you know, Carrie yeah. you talked about it. you're fine with the brand dollars but you got to be okay with the brand yeah. Um, and a lot of artists in Web3 are excited about what's unlocking for them. You know, the, their careers are getting launched or relaunched because now they can at least, you know, make money. Uh, where does it go from there? They don't all think the NFTs are everything. So then they start looking at a revenue mix and, and brand can be a good one for some of them. Mm -hmm. But everyone has a different um, level they're comfortable with on that. Mm -hmm. 
I will say this one note on distribution and licensing mm -hmm. as well um, before we, we go to our last question. But right now, pay a lot of attention to agents and agencies, um, talent groups, et cetera, who understand that this is the future, who are trying to prioritize figuring out fair and legal ways to sign artists within these realms. They have a vision. You know, if you want to participate in having those conversations with them, uh, you know, maybe there's there's a Web3, um, you know, talent think tank that really should be started. And I think it is very, very important that we respect that this is a discipline that's not going away. But to also, in the confusion, in the beginning of all of this, and in the fight to figure out where we land in the art world, to be part of that conversation and feel really empowered to seek out individuals, or if you're an individual who has influence in that way, to make sure you are prioritizing a new landscape for new art. Yeah, I'll, I'll just end this, this one question yeah. by saying um, I agree with everything you said. And I, I say this every single time I get a chance to, it's never, ever, ever about the technology. It, it never is. It's always about the people part. So lead with the people side of the equation. Mm -hmm. All right, are we ready to move? Absolutely. Oh, I didn't even go through my artist. We can jump very quick. Oh. Oh, I just want to oh, say yeah. a wonderful friend of mine who I had the pleasure of working with last year. She was one of the artists um, who was in a program I curated with the French Embassy I mentioned earlier. Her name's Melanie Cordina. I, I cannot recommend her work enough. She's a tremendous human being. And uh, Tony, I think you like her. All of her work is about Armageddon, death, the oh, end of the world. <laughs> yes, just a tremendous artist. So that talented. Is a, yeah, I mean, that is gorgeous. I haven't seen her work before. Wow. Yeah, yeah. it's really gorgeous. It's beautiful. <laughs> and then I, uh, I actually have never worked with this group, but I really appreciated their work. So things can just be beautiful for aesthetic sake. Max, <laughs> <laughs> Carrie? What does a multidisciplinary XR practice mean for a digitally native artist in music? <laughs> Um, well, going on kind of our last conversation here, I think I like to, uh, you know, have my practice be a proponent for other artists, like to, um, you know, here, I'll show you the slide. Um, this is what Darren and I worked on together for a couple of years, my um, exhibition at the Venice Biennial. And um, there were oil paintings that had augmented reality triggers. There was a, a virtual reality um, headset with a, a VR painting on view. And, um, you know, other components like a, um, a Pepper's Ghost hologram and then 3D printed VR sculptures. And so really trying to combine all these different elements. And, and again, the reason I wanted to work with there um, is um, her sensitivity to, you know, presenting um, VR and extended reality um, creativity on a very elevated fine art scale. And so that's one of the things that we aim to do. And I think we, you know, we really succeeded. Um, and uh, yeah, so, so I think bringing all those different components. And I think, you know, I kind of like to view my practice as being, of course, like inspiring. I'm also really passionate about um, like mentoring and um, ed educating. Um, and then what I've kind of more recently been focusing on um, is um, building in the virtual spaces. So working with um, this, the only web three based um, virtual reality first um, world um, in the metaverse called uh, Somnium Space. It's the closest thing to like Snow Crash, Ready Player One that I've that I've seen. Um, it's they're not doing any marketing right now because it's very still very buggy. 
um, that I built out, and it's so much cooler in VR. I'm sure everybody here knows that since this is the XR track, right? Then I love how you just bottom lined it, though. It's still full of bugs and something like that, right? Yeah. <laughs> and um, <laughs> here we are. Yeah. And uh, but what's but what was really great is so I did my my last single release. I, I did inside the the art museum that I built in there, and then I also had uh, invited other musicians to come in, and I have to say it was one of the most incredible experiences of my life. And I was like standing in my apartment in Brooklyn alone, you know, like it was it was pretty it was pretty wild. Um, it feels very real, and um, and so I think that that to go back to the the first question that we had um, about like less collaboration with these tools, like. I hang out with these people all over the world every day. I see them every single day. I've never met them. Most of them I've never met in real life. Um, and we've collaborated together. We um, are like on Discord trading things that we figured out. Um, my buddy Oli, who you see her avatar in the picture there, never met her, but she's an incredible, incredible musician. Definitely check her out. She's doing amazing things in the um, VR and, and music um, and is also like very talented um, with like unity and, and design. Um, and it's, it's really fun. We're just in there being like, uh, I've got my headset on, we've got our mixers out. We're like, okay, did this work? Did this work? You know, so it's been very collaborative and it's collaboration with people on the other side of the world or <clears throat> different time zone, you know? Um, so I believe that the, like the artists of the future are going to be like world builders, you know, or, or, and, and if they're not comfortable with a certain, um, kind of material, then th that will drive more collaboration. Okay, so guys, your, t your take on this. Yeah, and it seems to me that there is no such thing as just music or just art. Like, everything is sort of, you know, meshed together these days. They're, they're almost inseparable. Not, I wrote about some of this in the last book I did, The Age of Smart Information, which, by the way, I'm doing a book signing after this over at the, the convention center, uh, if you want to come. And, by the way, special surprise announcement, Carrie is going to join me during the book signing. She has a book of poetry. He so. also stocked my poetry book, so yeah. I'll be so there So at 1 o'clock, walk there. over. But yeah. what I talked about was yeah. um, there is no such thing as one, one discrete piece of work anymore. It will be able to change its form. In some cases, the tools will do, you know, do that for you. In other cases, the piece of art or the piece of music will know how to change itself into a tweet or into a video or into whatever. <laughs> but the point is, all these things are meshing together. And so I, I don't think that there is, there's no hope for you to just do one thing and have it exist that way without people wanting it to be in other forms. So Carrie is like mm -hmm. way ahead of the curve on this one. It's it's been really it's been really incredible to um, to to see the the you know. Um, how all of these things are connected, and I think that we don't necessarily see how connected they are, but um, with you know the Web3 base layer, we're not quite there yet, but um, you know eventually in the next year or two, I mean, I'll be able to invite musicians in that, that um, maybe they don't have the, the equipment or they don't understand you know the hardware, um, and then help them create an avatar, and then people can buy an NFT that's like flying around them like during their performance, and um, so it, it, I think will be an extension of kind of what we're seeing in the NFT space now, where um, you know, there's this support for the artist, but then in a way that is like much more um, volumetric and interactive and um, like pre feeling like present. I think as we move into, I, I keep using new renaissance and it's just because it really truly feels like the birth of a brand new period. I think there is so much excitement for those who want to take it. I don't think analog painting is going anywhere. And I don't think traditional disciplines will leave us. 
They are what make us who we are as people. Dance is not, you know, going to evaporate tomorrow. And I think we have to stop comparing media and saying one has more value over the other. I understand economically it's a little expensive to be an XR artist, right? It's a little different than someone who needs no technologies to do their work. But that being said, we have to stop comparing one art form over the other. And trends will come and go. And while not everyone certainly um, has the ability to leave no discipline unturned, like my dear friend Carrie, <laughs> you literally have tackled every discipline, I feel like, on the planet. It's incredible. But I think that for those who want it, you can take it these things do exist. For those who are disinterested in moving forward with new technologies, there's still place in our beautiful art world for you. You do not have to change. It's for those who truly want to. Yeah. Can we talk about the, the shift in business model? So yeah. this was super interesting insight to me that, that I didn't realize was happening. So we were having a discussion. Um, Tony was sort of mentioning that by working with some of these new Web3 music artists, there seems to be a shift away from the traditional thinking, I have to get millions and millions of people mm -hmm. to buy my work or I'm not yeah. successful. So can we talk about that for a minute? I, I, I want to take that and widen the whole aperture, yeah. Mike. Mm -hmm. That's a good kickoff point. Carrie, do I have like one or two minutes? Because mm -hmm. this is like literally this slide feels like everything I've worked on in my adult life coming together in one. Yes. So if we have the couple of minutes, walk with me on this. Okay. We'll come back to the yep. community. It's community's topic. It's a big one that you and I have been talking about, Mike. Mm -hmm. Let's start with this. First of, all, first of all, you see those screenshots of Somnium Space. It looks still crude. It's buggy, like you said, Carrie. I think most of us know this isn't the first time people have built virtual worlds like this. You probably all know about Second Life. People were trying to build worlds like this back in the 90s on VRML, my first time around on this stuff. This time it might stick. A lot of the technologies are coming together. The devices have gotten cheaper. Maybe there's a payment substrate that actually makes this stuff stick so it's not all marketing dollars funding demos at ex <laughs> exhibitions for VR. Like there's a way for creators to get paid. There's, there's a way for people to come in, join a community and pay what they want. Uh, to have an experience. So I think we're on the cusp of this stuff finally coming together. That's mm -hmm. point one I wanted to make. Uh, point two is kind of playing off what you said, Dara. I don't know if you know the work of the artist Krista Kim. Uh, she's an amazing digital artist. And we were together at a conference back in the fall. And everyone was all metaverse, metaverse, metaverse. And they were on some panel and asking what's the metaverse. And Krista said, the metaverse is an art project. And I thought that was the best damn, if you want one answer, that was the best damn answer. And so this has colored my whole life's work. I've worked, what I've done like to work on this stuff has always been media formats. It was sim as simple as like, how can we get to JPEG? Something that could just be exchanged and sent around the planet. That's what mm -hmm. I worked on with VRML and more recently with a format called GLTF, which Carrie uses to create her sculptures mm -hmm. virtually. Uh, that project started about 10 years ago, and I'm one of the creators and co-authors of the spec. And there wasn't some, like, what's your business model? Like, what's the business model for a damn JPEG? It's like whatever you want to make of it. There's business applications, there's entertainment applications, there's education applications. Mm -hmm. We need to have tools and formats like this, and we put this into people's mm -hmm. hands, and creativity can be unleashed. Mm -hmm. And un unexpected, wonderful things can happen. Uh, so to me, just that, that all kind of ties that together... Uh, now I, okay, so I rambled there. Those are my main three points. But now I want to pick up on what you said, Mike, unless someone wants to react to that first, Carrie, I, because I just yeah, wanted to we're add collabing on I've, stuff now around GLTF, and I'm super excited I'm about I'm very this. excited yeah. about that, too. I, I just wanted to add one really cool thing that um, the guitars that Oli and I are playing on, and they're 
are um, actual NFT guitars that that she created. So I own one. It's in my it's in my OpenSea wallet. So when you see my um, electric guitar, then what people are seeing me play is my NFT guitar, which is which is blue. And then um, I have both the spatial audio mic and the real life mic. And it felt so real that I actually hit my cheek on my real mic because I leaned into the spatial mic thinking like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I was like getting really excited about it, you know. And then um, you got to wear like... problem. (laughs) Yeah, like so there's, and and there's, you know, so but but, um, my point just being like, we're already having this this, um, thing, you know, where we're creating this infrastructure where like things that are, it's ownership, right? Like it's like you're, you're having these experiences, these performances, um, and you're you're actually owning like the digital assets that that you're you're using, and I think that that is what is enabling to Mike's p- question and point um, this community aspect of that you can be a successful band and never travel, live in one location, have only 500 fans, and maybe they're scattered all across the world, and you can actually you can make it like you could you could all have like a disability that impaired you get on a plane or whatever the the case is, and like you could actually build and in the next like couple of years, I believe that is going to be the norm. Like it's going to happen. I was at South by last year, and I went to this fascinating talk. It was the like I think chief counsel at Spotify, and he was with a fellow who had, he had a huge catalog of South Asian music. There are 300 million South Asian music listeners around the world, and Spotify's algorithm doesn't serve them. And it's, it's not even about cultural bias, it's like business optimization. I mean, of course, there's cultural mm-hmm. bias in it, but it's because, you know, it was decided this is the best way to get, mm-hmm. you know, the largest amount of people in around this kind of popular music. If a niche that big... <laughs> can't be served by a platform like Spotify, what is anyone going to be able to do with a few hundred mm-hmm. fans? But with these new tools, these new distribution methods, there is a hope to do that. And that obsession with scale, I, I, I use this phrase a lot, communities are the new scale. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think we need a billion people in one place. We could have thousands of communities of mm-hmm. a few thousand people, mm-hmm. or a few hundred people. And I think that is part of the and, future. And you brought artists, the topic up, Mike, so you yeah. probably have a point. Well, I mean, the, the thing that stuck with me that you brought up was you don't have to go after those millions of people anymore. You mm-hmm. can go after your 500 or 1,000 diehard fans mm-hmm. who will buy anything that you buy or anything you make forever, and that could be enough for mm-hmm. you to make a living mm-hmm. and to be satisfied. And so the business, like, I love business models. That turns the business model completely inside totally. out. This brings up something that I forgot to mention earlier when I was talking about marketing. There's no successful retention strategy that's been successfully done to date using Web3 or XR technologies in an advertising use case that will bring consumers back. This is also why, and to your point, to grow your fan base is an incredible skill set. It's something very, very important to all artists. But at the same time, we have to also be realistic about where that tech is at. And to reiterate mm-hmm. my point from earlier, we have to understand other industries see this as novel. So not necessarily counting solely on these technologies to have retention of your audience, mm-hmm. but understanding, kind of going back to a theme that appeared in this conversation, the human-centered part. It's not enough that you're just doing cool stuff. You mm-hmm. also have to still be a person with people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dara, I mean, you know what I mean when you say where the technology is? I mean, no one's done anything good yet with Web3 and advertising is what you're saying, right? It's not, <laughs> it's not a matter of the technology. It's all been shitty advertising so far, right? No, I think that there's some incredible cases, but I don't think there's a large enough adoption. I'm not saying yeah, that okay. the stuff is shit. <laughs> I'm saying that I people was, don't know but... how to engage with it yet. 
And sure. I think a lot of it is still so new that advertisers are either completely on board, like I'm working right now on a project that I can't say the name of the client because it's in production, but I'm working on a project. They're really excited. They're willing to throw money down, but it's never going to be the hero campaign, at least not for a couple of years. And we have to understand that. You have to be okay with that, mm -hmm. that sometimes you're going to play second, third, fourth fiddle at the moment. And it's going to be a while before that talent is forward. It doesn't mean that marketers or advertisers, and I, I also want to be very clear here, the theme of the panel is not how do you get into marketing and advertising as a Web3 or XR artist. But just from my standpoint, you have to understand it's going to take a little bit of time. Mm -hmm. So prioritize the human connection above mm -hmm. all else. And hopefully we'll not see any shit ever again. <laughs> so I want to make sure we all answer the question in our own words. Uh, you know, what is the future of digitally native art and music? So I guess, I guess I'll start real quick. I, I think it's going to be like as the hardware becomes more accessible and all of these, you know, uh, things are interconnected. Um, you know, it's going to be the, that is going to be the implementation for the best uh, open metaverse. Um, and, you know, I think also we've already discussed, you know, the way that art is created and consumed will, um, you know, continue to evolve and um, be more valued. And I, I really strongly believe that we're in a, the midst of a digital renaissance. So, go ahead, Derek. Thank you. I think the future is very fruitful. I think that it is collaboration between people and technologies in ways that we understand and ways we do not understand. I think it is staying open. I think it is remembering to be humble, understanding that there is so much that has been created and so little that has to in, in the greater perspective of the world. And I think it's also hopefully cheesy as it sounds, leaning into a playfulness and a joy and a discovery. I think that although we're talking about business models and it makes sense, right? How do we make money off of this stuff? We have to understand it's so, so new. And if we can continue to be playful in the process of understanding how it applies to us and how it can benefit us, I think that's the best way to move forward with all of this new stuff that we get to work with every day. Oh, awesome. Yeah, get your questions ready, people. I think we're going to Q&A after this, right, Carrie? Um, well, what you said, I, I, I want to pick up on number one, what Mike and Dara both touched on a lot, which is the human element. We cannot forget the human element in any of this, and we've seen how we've been losing our way uh, with our obsession with technology and convenience and all that. So I'm hopeful that we can instill that and abuse that into the very process and conversation starting now. Um, I think it's recontextualizing a lot of media we already have. Mike, you mentioned this too. I mean, old media is the new media. The metaverse will be populated with lots of music and, and 2D art and all forms of art and communication. We'll just have some wonderful new tools with which to experience that and devices with which to deliver it. And that's awesome. And my third point would be uh, the one that I hammered on a lot. Um, now every creator has the opportunity if they want to be their own CEO, business manager, record label, art agent, uh, if they want. Not everyone wants that responsibility and wants to do the work that way, but hopefully these new tools are empowering them to do that. I'm incredibly optimistic. You know, after hearing all this and even like some of the things that we dig into, it's a very bright future for artists and musicians moving forward. And to, to sort of quote one of my favorite artists, David Byrne, it's the same as it ever was. It's always about the ingenuity and the creativity and your mm -hmm. ability to put, not to lean on the technology, but to use it to your advantage. Not mm -hmm. to, to try a new business model just because everybody else is doing it. 
do what you think is the right thing for you. And you will be successful if you, if you use your creativity and your ingenuity to just push forward. So it's going to be great for all of us. Thank you so much. And one last thing that I forgot to, to mention um, that I tell artists that are interested in getting involved with these technologies is to have the idea of what you want to do and then just figure out what you have to learn because it's so much to learn everything, right? Like, so it all starts with the idea. Um, but with that, I want to say thank you so much to everybody and to my co-panelists here who are all thank so you. incredibly brilliant. And um, if we have time for some questions... Uh, if anybody has any questions for us, like feel free to come up go. to the... Yeah. And also, yeah. if anyone also wants to answer this question, too, uh, yeah. this is an industry-open dialogue. We're all trying to figure it out, right? 100. Anyone who asks a question gets a guitar pick. That's my art. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Well done. <laughs> Great. <laughs> okay. Oh, sure, to the oath, right. Yeah, and by the way, if, if you do get a few minutes, please come over to the book signing across the street uh, for Carrie and I signing our books. That would be wonderful to talk to you yeah. a little bit more. And uh, thank you for staying so long. Yeah. Thank you. And, and feel free to connect with us. Uh, I have all of our, like, contact info there on, like, Twitter, like, all that stuff. So feel free to connect with us. We'd love to hear from you. Okay, go ahead. Thank you for a great panel. So that... Uh, Please correct me wrong. If, uh, please correct me if I'm wrong. So there is a less visibility of the uh, the musicians or the artists who uh, is for open for uh, uh, Web3 and the metaverse uh, because the, uh, the I have a music background, but I have now really many friends around the globe for uh, digital fashion wearables that design us. I run the metaverse uh, studio uh, based in Tokyo, Japan. But uh, if uh, my question is, uh, is there any kind of a list of the community or the database? Uh, who is uh, the, the musician who is open for uh, uh, the Web3 and the Metaverse. Uh, maybe we can work together. And uh, if it, it is not yet, so that maybe we can start to work together. Yeah, I'd say we're, we can always use more lists and curation like that. Uh, there's an NFT Music Spaces uh, tw uh, list. That, so the, that list, the Twitter Spaces, which is a really nice way to, to connect with a lot of these people worldwide and we've spent countless hours in Twitter spaces getting to know each other. And that by, by that, then you at least get to the Twitter handles of a lot of the participants. So that's a good starting point. I don't think anyone's put together any kind of big master lists outside of that that I know about. That's thank you. Yeah. Thank Let's you find for each other after. Do. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. This was an awesome panel. Uh, really thank enjoyed you. the breadth and depth uh, kind of across and, and deep for each of you. Um, I heard said earlier that um, and I also really appreciate the, the focus on the people and the connection. Uh, I've heard said earlier when it comes to the metaverse, right, that each of us in our journey, we have that connection with, you know, we're with our friends, we're on a date, and that song comes on, and it's something that we know, and it's something that we love, or it's something we've never heard before, and it's something that's now a part of our relationship. Getting in the car, going to a venue, going to a gallery. I'm curious if any of you have any thoughts of what that encounter experience might look like in the metaverse, in a more immersive space, as people are, are spending more time online, mm -hmm. having that connection that transcends the platform, but that is just happening on a new channel. Thank you. Well, it, it'll be a lot easier to find that song than it was in the old days. <laughs> I think, as well, on that note, you know, there, I'll back this up. There is research that shows that when you make these digital encounters, in these spaces. And I would love to know also how you feel about like performing mm -hmm. within metaverse spaces, but 
there is research proving that it embeds as if it was this memory of being out in the real world. And I think that we are just seeing the two merge because ultimately they are the same. You're experiencing something. Do you have to experience it with your body to know that this was something that you mm-hmm. went through? And I think kind of expanding that out of just today's talk, I mean, like anyone's feelings, anything that you've ever mm-hmm. experienced in your life, who is to say that you did not have that? And this is why I'm very curious about redefining sentimentality mm-hmm. for digital objects. Why are they valued any more or less? It's more of a philosophical question that we're all going to be answering together in the next few years. And mm-hmm. um, I know that you know someone's going to try to monetize on that, certainly. But at the same time, that goes back to the magical and wonderful ways in which we as people just understand how we move through the world. Do you have any thoughts on the performance part? I, I was going to say that um, Oli, who was my friend that I was talking about in there, who I've never actually met, my mom, when I was on the phone with her, could not believe that she wasn't like my best friend in real life. Like that uh, it, she just realized this. And I think that that is a testament to how re- it is real. Like when you see this person every day, there's spatial audio, you're in the headset, it's mimicking all of their facial expressions. Um, you have those like chance encounters. Like, I mean, I have friends that are, you know, they're like living in Germany. I hear so many languages because, you know, I, I like pass by people. Um, I have to like walk to get, there isn't like, you don't just teleport somewhere, you know, you have to like walk to go to different places. And so you pass by people. And um, so that you get those kind of like chance encounters, right? And like, um, I, I feel, I feel that. I feel the same kind of, you know, connection that you, that you do. It's amazing, truly. Ironically, this is all going on right now in Twitter spaces and clubhouses and Discord chats. And there's a hilarious level of interaction when you're in these Twitter spaces in particular. They have these little emojis. I don't know if you use the app or not. And when our musicians bust out and start playing, you see clap emojis to the time. And it's, it's this weird flashing, like on this little blue rectangle, mm-hmm. a black mirror, like weird little experience. It's just going to grow up into this more immersive stuff as more people have the devices. But right now, the immersion is actually the audio. And this little rectangle you got where you're fixated on to see who's reacting to what and you want to put your little heart in there or whatever. So it's just fascinating that having that global connection is creating these kind of serendipitous encounters right now. It's more real in VR, though. I don't Yeah, I no, don't of course. It's more real in VR, but not but, everyone has the headsets. That's. Yeah. No, for All sure. Saying. No, for sure. I but think I think we have five. We have five minutes left. I think so. Sure. Let's go yeah. into. Thank you. Okay. Thank, thank you. you so much. Thank and you, guys. If you asked a question, feel free to come up and get a little guitar, guitar pick. pick. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it has art. It has VR art thank on it. Thank you. By the way, uh, Carrie's guitar picks are on display at the Microsoft Garage in New York. <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah. That's true. They're, they're a permanent art exhibit. All right. Let's go. Okay. What do we got? Thank you very much for sharing your thoughts with us today. <clears throat> I'm really curious about you know, what you were saying about this same, same, but different idea of there's new paradigms. Obviously, art has always needed patrons to survive, but the formal non-XR art market is pretty deeply fucked. I mean, the music industry, the fine art, there's, there's very, the capitalist nature of that relationship has made it very difficult for people to just make art if they want to. And we've heard a lot of individualizing of, you know, how, how, you know, what is my personal relationship to this brand or to this agency or to to this uh, community of patrons. But I'm curious about any collective solutions that you might be able to to think about in terms of, 
you know, if you were advising a, a union of digital artists, what, what rules could we kind of make amongst ourselves as artists to avoid replicating the exploitation of the existing art market in these new paradigms? Because as exciting mm -hmm. as it is to hear that it's accessible because it's the same but new, it's also, I think, is it squandering the potential of this new paradigm if we simply just have a skeuomorphism and, you know, we end up yeah. with email again, which is just a kind of, yeah. you know, what would you advise us as artists to avoid falling into that very familiar but perhaps painful uh, yeah. new... Well, I, I'm going to start this with a blunt instrument answer, and I think Dara's got some nuance she's going to add to it, but I was going to start with this. Like, at least when it comes to music right now, the artists have all the power. Going forward, the new artists, if they stay strong and collected about it, they can actually dictate a lot of the game rules because they're the talent. And again, if they put a stake in the ground and say, you know, our stuff has value, mm -hmm. and that is the bottom line, uh, and enough of them do that and don't feed the monster of the current uh, click machines, I think that is a big part of it. But again, that's, that's the sort of crude, like big yeah. high-level answer. There's a lot to that mm -hmm. even. I think we have to redefine what is success. I think all artists need to ask themselves, like, what is success to you? Is it having, for me, it's not, it's not money. It's having creative control and, and integrity over the interdisciplinary nature and output, right? Um, but for some artists, it might be, it's going to be something totally different, right? So I think, like, if you are able to answer that question for yourself, then you'll be able to, you know, act in a accordance, you know, and, and, and check back on your your you know, procedure, but I don't, I don't foresee, um, once these infrastructure, which by the way, we need to give a shout out to Lambda One, um, mm -hmm. uh, they are building the, um, infrastructure base layer, um, they're currently working on that, um, and I think that that will solve a lot of issues when we have these companies, you know, working on building that, which will solve a lot of the, the IP, um, problems, the, the royalties, like when all of those things are in, the base layer of, uh, of this, um, I think that that's going to solve a lot of those issues. Also, you know, it was already brought up a bit, but the unionization of artists, I don't, I think that for some obvious reasons, so many artists get um, pitted against each other and there's this competition. I think when more artists, whether or not they're working on each other's work, can unionize and push back and do say, my stuff has value. And I am such a huge proponent, and I've said this like three times in this talk, to understand law there is not enough focus on artists actually understanding that they're business people and that they have to be their own lawyers and that they have to mm -hmm. understand copyright and they have to understand. And it's so much to ask of someone to be creating and it's so much to ask of them to also be their own legal counsel, especially if they are emerging artists. And I understand that. It's coming from a privileged place. But it is really important that if you do find success, you understand all the ways in which people can also screw you over. And I think that can be a huge paradigm shift, especially mm -hmm. with access to just simply the internet, being able to find resources. And I think also having a ideally more inclusive world that we live in where there's not as much acceptance for the bullshit of barring certain types of people from specific mm -hmm. spaces. And there is still tremendous privilege in, again, our industry being a very expensive you know, media uh, in terms of all of the tech you need, blah, blah, blah. But... I think the more that we have these larger conversations about equity on a cultural and global scale, the more we have to directly tie that into what we leave behind from the fine art world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and one last thing, we sort of all learned this during the pandemic and everything else, all that crap that happened during that. You have to keep lifting each other up, right? Mm -hmm. don't, don't be 
you know, fighting each other. And like, there's yeah. enough room for everybody. And because mm -hmm. yes. a lot of really good people constantly lift each other up. Just keep doing that. Mm -hmm. yeah. Thanks for lifting us up. So don't forget. Yeah. Thank you. Well, Do we have time for one more, so Carrie? I think so. Kicked out. Unless they kick us. Unless they kick us out. Yeah, <laughs> one more. One more. Hi there. My name is Beckett of Ad Hoc Projects, and my question is for Tony and Mike. Uh, you've mentioned your human-centric approach, which I really appreciate, and I'm curious, as brands, what makes you excited to work with new emerging talent? By what rubric do you evaluate that relationship on a human level beyond just, like, do they have a lot of followers? Thank you. Well, Mike's uh, the designer in the room. I want yeah, him to kick so this off. The first thing is what we talked about a lot. If someone leads with technology, full stop. Like, why? Like, why talk about the tech? Like, you brought this up earlier, right? It's like, what is, the, what is the connection part? You know, what's the, the people, the emotional part? Let's start there. And if people can't, you know, whatever they're presenting, if they can't start with that, there's a problem. So that's, that's a flag immediately. Mike is a designer and technologist, and he's written now three books. Yeah, yeah, I have on, a new book, Visualizing Business, coming out. You can order it today. On envisioning outcomes. You really need to put your envisioning hat on. Yeah. You, can, you can start with the hat. Um, and you need to think about what we're aiming toward, and everything comes from that. So that, that's, I, I've been using his work and his um, uh, just thoughts on this as a guide for several years now, personally. Yeah, I, I got the guy that invented the first metaverse to write the forward to my first book. Good. <laughs> it was a privilege. <laughs> so it looks like we need to wrap up, but we will take your, we're going to all meet um, right out here. So for your last question, because we need to leave the stage. We can but, still answer it. Um, yeah, 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 we'll we answer you back there. And if anybody yeah, wants to, we're going to just go right out there to the lobby. Thank if anybody you. wants to link up or ask yep. us a question thank out you. there. So thank you so much.